We are on Surah Al-Ankabut, the spider, Surah number 29, and Ayah number 16. This surah is about trials and tribulations, especially upon those who say they believe in Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us an example of that in Nuh alayhi salam where he was tested for 950 years he and the believers with him passed the test in this world and they were delivered in this world through the Safina the ark uh, this is the second example of those who have been tested for the sake of Allah and that is Ibrahim alayhi salatu so Ibrahim alayhi salam the uh, patriarch for the Abrahamic faiths and we as Muslims believe that he is the, the founding father of monotheism belief in one Allah one, in God, one God and this is his story as mentioned and described in this surah Ibrahim al-Islam is mentioned in so many other surahs but this is in, in the context of being tested as a messenger of Allah and remember Ibrahim when he said to his people, worship Allah and fear him. This is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a correct understanding of life and a correct perception and a world view of how the universe and the earth is created and how it is governed. So his test was initial task was to speak the truth in front of his own family members and that he had a family who worshipped idols and they carved idols they manufactured and sold idols and they were all into this pagan understanding of the cosmos that the sun, the moon, the stars governed the earth and the earth was then further governed by the idols that they made themselves in that kind of climate and situation he stood up against the false believers of his own people his own family, his own father and he told them the truth worship Allah and fear him, observe his rules and regulations that is much better for you if you know so this was a huge undertaking by a young man who knew that if he said this, he would be imprisoned or he would be definitely tested physically, persecuted. And as we know, he was thrown into a huge bonfire and he survived that test. Also, part of his dialogue and discourse and dialectics with his people was that he said, indeed, you worship others besides Allah uh, that are idols and stone, othan, and, and on account of justifying worshipping false 
gods and idols, you then falsify and create no further lies and fabrications. Ifkan. Ifkan is a lie of fabrication. So you worship first, and then after reflection you justify your worship by lying. So that is the order that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed Ibrahim so it should be the other way that first you justify the worship and then you worship but you've done exactly the opposite that you worship first and you justify later and that is how most human beings behave in this world today they do first and they justify later it should be the other way that you must have a model first uh, against which you say I'm going to do this and then you can justify the model later. So the prototype comes first, then the rationalization comes later in the scheme of Tawheed. So Allah comes first, then worshipping Him comes second because He is one alone. And only one can govern and rule, whereas two or three or four cannot govern or rule. Otherwise you'll have chaos everywhere you are especially a huge undertaking like the cosmos and the universe as we know it how do you govern such a huge amount of space in which there's time and everybody who was part of the divine order would start to fight and debate not this way but this way not this way this way anyway so now he uses the word takhluquna to create that you create a fabrication and the second point he uses is that those whom you worship besides Allah they have no control over your sustenance your food, your nourishment your life, your existence and so on that they can't feed themselves in fact they don't exist until you carve them out with your own hands so how can you say that you can worship something that you have created first and second of all how can you worship something that cannot sustain itself and definitely does not sustain you so this is how Ibrahim is arguing against the culture the religious culture of his people and of his time so now seek with Allah, your rizq, your sustenance, and your nourishment. وَعْبُدُوهُ Worship Him. وَشْكُرُونَ And then give thanks to Him. So if you want to understand the utility of worship, it is in your providence. So the first uh, observation is that you worship Allah because He is. Right? Simply because He is. Because He exists. And the second is that you worship Allah because He provides for you. He is the Lord of Providence. And then when you seek your providence through Him, and you know it comes from Him, then your duty socially is you give thanks to Him. So now worship will either because uh, you are devout as a worship of Allah, or at the very least, you see there's utility in worshipping Allah where there's no utility in worshipping anything else besides Allah. 
and that is a sign of gratitude. Washkurula. So gratitude and appreciation for Allah's ability to give life to you, to sustain you, and to give you providence, and also take care of you as you die and after you die, and give you sustenance in Jannah. All of that will necessitate that you give thanks. And the way you give thanks is you worship. That's the best way to give thanks to someone who you can only communicate with through ibadah. How you communicate with Allah? Through ibadah. When you're in ibadah, you are with Allah. That's when you communicate with Him. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this uh, universal understanding that communication with God is uh, for many reasons. One is to give thanks. The other way to give thanks is obviously through your zakat and helping other human beings, your social order. So what is your personal private order in terms of uh, worship? And the other is your social order in terms of helping others whom Allah also provides for. So this is all comprehensive in the mind of Ibrahim and Islam. This at a very young age. And thirdly, The third reason why you would worship Allah and only Allah is because you're going back to Him. That your return is to the one who gave you life in the first place. So now, when you summarize all of this, you can see the rushd and the correct awareness of Ibrahim that Allah gave him. And he stood up in front of his people and mentioned this. This was his test. And he passed the test. وَإِن تُكَذِّبُوا فَقَدْ كَذَّبَ أُمَمٌ مِّنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَمَا عَلَى الرَّسُولِ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ And if you deny and refuse to believe in Allah, then you must remember that many nations before you disbelieved and denied the truth. So now if uh, people were to say, what do you know about the world? Who are you to tell us? Then Ibrahim Salaam's response would be, look at history, look at human history and look at human civilizations that in human history and civilization many people would deny the truth so the percentages is not the way to judge the truth because usually the truth escapes people if they are submerged in the love of acquiring the dunya and hoarding wealth following their bestial okay, propensities and their bestial passions and desires. So they're not interested in the truth because they're interested in their own desires. And that is what led them to their destruction. Okay, when people forget that they are human beings and their only purpose of life is the fulfillment of biological pleasures and there's no need for intellectual uh, stimulation and no need for spiritual stimulation, then this is what happens. So, this is a norm in the world in which you live that uh, people come and people go. Most people they disbelieve, and some people they believe. Ibrahim is saying that you told me this, I know this only from your reports that before the Babylonian civilization there were other civilizations and groups of people and communities who came to the world, but they no longer exist. So this now, 
another way that Ibrahim discusses with his people. You can see the detail with which he argues the point. Okay? The ability to, to understand how the world works and the ability to understand through a process of rational argumentation is a very unique feature with all prophets and especially with Ibrahim and you must remember that he is a one man now army against falsehood he doesn't have anybody with him at this time he is alone <coughs> and the Rasul his duty is simply <coughs> to convey openly his duty is not to convert his duty is to convey once he conveys that he has done his job, the rest is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is not in the hands of the Rasul because the Rasul is not God. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not share his divinity with those who are non-divine. And the non-divine will do what Allah wants them to do and that is the mission of every Rasul and every Nabi. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا كَيْفَ يُبْدِئُ اللَّهُ الْخَلْقَ ثُمَّ يُعِيدُهُ إِنَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يُسِيرُ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says himself, or he continues to quote Ibrahim, either way, that have they not seen how Allah initiates and begins the creation? Again, another method of argumentation that you bring out the signs and evidences of creation uh, through observation what is around you in the cosmos, in the heavens, on earth, that if you think about the origins of creation, you'll be left now in significantly, significantly okay, uh, handicapped when you come to a place in your mind, it's okay, who created this, who created this, and who created this? And the chain has to stop somewhere. So when you stop the chain of Allah, then you know it is Allah who initiated creation. Another method of argumentation that is addressed by the ulama of Kalam and dialectics in these Muslim civilizations also. So think about this. Observe how creation is initiated. Who created the first? Thumma yuriduhu, and then he will bring it back again. He will reproduce it because he's capable of initiating creation, so he's much more capable of recreating, you know, meaning your eventual return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, expressed in this world as in other ayat of the Quran, that Allah is the one who kills the earth, meaning at the time of winter, and there's nothing except snow and cold, a bit of frost on top and underneath, and it becomes dark, and the soil becomes dark, and it's a dead, barren land. Nothing grows in winter. Then all of a sudden he revives that, as we see now in front of us in spring, where now it's now green, okay, very fertile all of a sudden. So from that, the Quran uses this example, saying, look, if the earth is revived after its death, then why is it difficult for you to say that you will be revived after your death? just casual observation you don't have to be that bright to understand this example right? and that is how the Quran addresses so that the, the first addressee 
recipient of the Qur'an after it was revealed to the Prophet were the Arabs and the Bedouin Arabs who lived in nature and they observed this phenomenon every year okay, that the earth dies and then all of a sudden it's revived it dies and it's revived so now, over time the earth was created then the earth will die and then you will be recreated that meant so much to the Bedouin Arab where he did not bring in the sophisticated rules of argumentation that makes sense it's something I can observe and something I relate to every year because that's what you are when you live with nature when you don't live with nature and you live in a very uh, artificial type of life and have a very artificial regulated lifestyle where things are set by other people your time and your space then you might have a difficulty understanding this line of argumentation because then you'll bring in your other values that you have in front of you but if you go out into the wilderness those values won't be there for you you won't bring those values to the wilderness and the desert you'll just have the sun, the moon, the stars the trees the mountains the seas and everything else so now, that is why it's a very simple approach to understanding he is the one who will bring it back and reproduce it إِنَّ ذَلِكْ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرٍ Indeed, that is very easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do. And how is that? قُلْ سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضُ فَانْضُرُوا كَيْفَ الْوَادَعَ الْخَلْقَ ثُمَّ اللَّهُ يُنْشِئُ النَّشْأَةُ الْآخِرَةِ إِنَّ ذَلِكْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Here now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is encouraging people okay, that if you want, you must then travel in the land, on land, meaning leave your communities where you live leave your metropolis and your concrete buildings leave your environment and go out into Allah's very very vast earth travel the land and then what do you do then observe and think and reflect how Allah has created <coughs> initiated the creation and you do that when you travel okay, in places where there is nothing then Allah says, then, Allah, Allah then will initiate a further creation, another creation, a nashat al-akhirah, meaning after the earth dies and it's revived in the spring, and then it dies again after the harvest, then it uh, is revived again the following year. Okay, this is another creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In this world, likewise, you draw analogy from this world to the other world. And it will be very easy because Allah is capable of doing everything. So this is a, a, a standard process of helping others understand that when you see Allah's might and power and abilities in and on the earth, then you'll be able to re relate to his abilities in the heavens. And then by combining both, you'll be able to relate to his abilities beyond the heavens and the earth and on the Day of Judgment, and so on. So the Qur'an here is acknowledging and encouraging people, and especially Muslims, to look and observe throughout the world so that they see Allah in action. So when you travel in this vast country here, then you'll see Allah and His beauty and His majesty in action. And from that you'll be able to deduce and conclude that Allah is 
the Supreme Creator, we cannot imagine how we would begin to even plan such a creation. It takes us years to develop the ability to build a house and to build skyscrapers and to build roads and infrastructure and railway lines and then to come up with the idea of you know, floating in mid-air through planes. <laughs> How many centuries did it all take us to get there? How many millenniums did it take for human beings to get there? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one word created the heavens and the earth. Spectacular creation. So you go from there to here and say, well, we're no match for God. That's why we worship Him because we are no match. Our minds collectively cannot do anything that Allah does instantaneously. And He does it every year, year in, year out. And He created the system of the heavens and the earth, the moon, the sun, the stars, where the sun rises on time every day. And the moon has its phases exactly accurately every month. And the system runs. Why? Because there's no human interference. When humans interfere, then you have accidents happening, calamities happening, disasters happening, and so on. So Ibrahim al-Islam is now seen also the father of argumentation, the argument, the, the father of hujjah, that he has the rational ability to control a conversation and impose the view of tawheed, the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon people in such a way that others are now left dumbfounded, as you can see from this presentation uh, that we have here in this surah. So his test initially was intellectual, whereas the test of Nuh was that of patience, forbearance, resistance, resilience, and you know making sure that the job is done. Uh, Ibrahim test was that he had to speak the truth the way he knew it in front of people who were actually his peers and his, his own family members. But Allah gave him that ability to succeed in his test also. Where you do not concede against Tawheed and you do not concede against Allah Subhanahu will and desire and his abilities. In fact, you promote all of that in, uh, in statements uh, that others have no answer to. So this is an intellectual challenge Allah subhanahu wa is bringing forth uh, to us so that we also should appreciate the intellect of every Nabi. The Prophets, والسلام, they were not simple people in the sense of being simpletons and simplistic. They were very organized in their thoughts and very rational and very supremely intellectual. Again, we may believe that this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking, or we may believe that Allah is now quoting Ibrahim in this ayah, so he may punish whomever he wants to, and he may show his rahmah to whomever he wants to. It is only to him that they will be turned and returned. So this is the divine prerogative. The divine prerogative is to create Number one, the divine prerogative is to sustain. Uh, number two, and the divine prerogative is to punish or reward also. Yeah. All in that order. Yeah. So human beings today, 
and they kind of shy away from the idea that why does God need to punish? So we say he does not need to punish, but he definitely has the prerogative to do so. Otherwise, you will not be worshipping a God. Uh, you'll be worshipping somebody who is handicapped by your perception of the truth and justice, which is really no perception, no standard whatsoever. So the standard is Allah is absolute and he is not confined by time and space, nor is he confined by the rational argumentation of human beings. He is free to do what he wishes to do. So when you want to establish freedom for human beings, you do not do that at the expense of putting God in shackles and chains. You have to let the divine be free also. Right? So there's divinity, and there's freedom within the divinity and within the divine. Once you appreciate this aqidah, then you can appreciate the freedom that human beings may have or may not have. <coughs> means he will be the ultimate judge of whatever human beings do. The day of judgment is created uh, for a reason. It is not out of sport and amusement. And the reason is to show human beings that they will be rewarded for their good deeds and they may be punished for their bad deeds. No, nor can any of you escape and render him incapable, neither in the earth nor in the heavens. Mu'ajizin, that you want to make somebody else incapable, render that person incapable. So you can't make Allah incapable in your minds, neither in the heavens nor in the earth. You must leave Allah free and being able to do what he wants to do at will. You can't hold him hostage to your understanding of the divine. You must let him be free. Nor will there be for you, besides Allah, any friend, any uh, partner, any patron, nor will there be any assistant and helper. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your only patron and he's your only assistant. And that is how you worship him that you worship Allah so that you may, he may give you salvation. That is another reason for worshipping the divine where when you worship objects of your desire that are tangible and that are limited in time and space and indeed that are manufactured either physically or in your mind then that is not the way of the divine. The divine has to be left alone and absolute and free. No. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues and this is a statement of uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as you can see. As for those who disbelieve and deny the ayat and the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his creation and in his divinity and they also disbelieve in meeting him. They deny the reality that one day they will meet him. Every creation that is resurrected will meet his or her creator. Okay, that is guaranteed. Some people, inshallah, uh, most people hopefully, will meet him in a pleasant state. 
Others, God forbid, will meet him in a not-so-pleasant state. Either way, he will be meeting him. For those who deny Allah's meeting, then they are the ones who are uh, now have become despondent and uh, they have lost hope in my mercy, in my rahmah, in my forgiveness because they did not believe that they will be meeting him. So when you don't believe in something, then you will not work towards it. When you're not motivated for something, there will be no inspiration. And you will remain aloof from that idea or ideal, and you will not do anything to sacrifice yourself and your time and your money towards achieving that goal and purpose. So once you have made up your mind, there is no resurrection, and there is no meeting the divine at any point of time, then you have lost hope in God. Your disbelief is the reason for your despondency. Your disbelief is the reason for your denial of Allah's mercy and His rahmah. So the more you believe, the more you want to meet Him, and the more you want to meet Him, the more you will be hopeful of His salvation, of His rahmah, and so on. Again, a very simple approach, a logical approach to whether or not there is a day of judgment. If you deny that there is one in this world, and God forbid you are taken into the other world, then the first thing that will hit you will be a cultural shock, a realization, a, uh, an awakening, a very rude awakening. Hey, I didn't believe this was going to happen, so why didn't it happen? Right? Likewise in this world, and the same thing in this world, that you don't believe something can happen or someone can do something or something is true, and when it is revealed, or made clear to you, it is the truth, then you have shock. And you say, I'm shocked. Okay. This is incredible. So the mere fact that you are shocked means that you are in a state of denial, and you are trying to adjust your mind and your psyche to that reality, and that is where the pain comes in. So if you don't believe in resurrection and you go to the other world, then the first thing that happens is you have a cultural shock. You have a very rude awakening. I didn't believe this. Why is it happening? It's not supposed to happen. Right? And that is why Allah then says, For them there will be a very painful punishment. The punishment uh, starts with the psychological realization of the truth, which was... Uh, part of their denial scheme in the world. <coughs> then that psychological impact is usually quite long. So if you were convinced that uh, the, the, this event will never happen, or this is not the truth about someone, and then you find out it is the truth, then you will be in a state of shock for many years. Right? Although the denial may be just for a few days or a few months, but the lingering after effects of that shock okay, will be prolonged, even in this dunya. You will not be able to adjust yourself to that reality on the Day of Judgment, when there is no time or no space, basically. And then it will be everlasting, because that is everlasting. The world in which you are resurrected is very eternal. So this is how Allah Subh'ala now justifies Ibrahim Salam's statements. So in the beginning we had Allah subhanahu quoting Ibrahim and later on Allah subhanahu is now defending the statements of Ibrahim.
and that is a sign of Allah's rahmah and Allah's love for Ibrahim and his approach towards the truth that once you stand up for the truth and although you may not have related the truth in the way that the divine does the divine will then assist you further and then re-relay and re-relate that truth in his words which is what Allah has done here to defend Ibrahim al-Islam's position that all Ibrahim al-Islam said and did was the truth and these are further points of the truth and as I said this is the sign of Allah's immense rahmah upon Ibrahim this was his test فَمَا كَانَ جَوَابَ قَوْمِهِ إِلَّا أَنْ قَالُوا اُقْتُلُوهُ أَوْ حَرِّقُوهُ فَأَنْجَاهُ اللَّهُ مِنَ النَّارُ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ الْآيَاتِ لِقَوْمِ يُؤْمِنُونَ Then the response of his people was nothing except to say that kill him or burn him. Because when you are defeated intellectually and mentally and psychologically, you have no other recourse except to punish physically. That's what usually happens with the that if you're losing an argument, then you become violent. And if you lose an argument uh, through diplomacy, then you have military action. kill, or burn, one of the two. Uh, so it starts at the domestic level, ends up at the international level. Right? It's the same. The phenomenon is the same. And the psyche of human beings remain the same from the day that Ibrahim spoke this and before and until the day of judgment. That's why. The response of his people was nothing except this. We are now cornered intellectually. We have no other response except to say that we have power and you don't have power. So Allah says, no, you don't have power either. Physically, nor in the way that you want to punish Ibrahim. Allah then says, فَأَنْجَاهُ اللَّهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Allah then saved him and delivered him in this dunya from the fire. Fire then being significant and a symbol for the eternal fire. So just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved Ibrahim from the physical fire of this dunya, Allah will save Ibrahim from the eternal fire of the other dunya and those who want to follow his role model will end up the same way. Allah will save you and protect you from the fire of your temptations, your desires, your false hopes and your false beliefs in this world and he will definitely save you from the fire of hell on the day of judgment. That is why Allah then says, Indeed in all of this there are signs and evidences for those who believe. When you believe you realize this is the truth and your belief will come at a price. And the price will be that you speak the truth in a rational way, in a way that is through argumentation, persuasion, and so on. And in that uh, quest of yours to speak and uh, articulate the truth, you may be punished or you may feel some resentment against you. So be it. Allah will save you from that torture psychological inconveniences and discomfort that all Muslims are facing in the world today. So there's a sign and proof for us in the story of Ibrahim that we should not uh, shake and we should not um, be skeptical about our own iman, our own deen. We should
should hold our course and remain firm and resolute towards our destination, which is Jannah. And this how we reconcile your, our state with the state of Ibrahim. So there's evidence and there's guidance in the Quran. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala portrays the story of Ibrahim as the second story in this surah. وَقَالَ إِنَّمَا اتَّخَذْتُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَوْثَانًا مَوَدَّةً بَيْنِكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا The reason for you for worshipping others besides Allah as idols is because of a social need. مَوَدَّةً بَيْنِكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا That love and familiarity amongst yourself in this, in this world that you have a brotherhood and you have a social order and you have now elements of uh, congeniality amongst yourself. You don't want to be seen as the odd one out. You don't want to be seen as different from others. So for the sake of a social order and uniformity, you say, whatever. If it's false, it's false. Whatever. We don't want to be standing there as a sore thumb in front of all the whole of humanity. Islam, what is Islam? The Qur'an, what is the Qur'an? Religion, what is religion? Okay. God, who is God? Okay. So when you stand up uh, out of the sore thumb, then you say this, that you want uh, mutual compassion and love amongst each other in this world. Then on the day of judgment, Allah informs all of us, that you will be denying each other and then you will be cursing each other for not speaking the truth and not uh, inviting yourselves towards the truth so the tables will turn. In this world there is now a mutual society, a society for mutual uh, adulation. But on the Day of Judgment you will be judged alone as individuals first and then as a society. Later, so your 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 salvation is based on what you say and what you do. Your salvation is not based on the social order of the time, which is huge and unique in Ibrahim, al-Islam. Because if he was able to maintain his uh, uh, sole position, isolated position against his parents, his community, his society, as one man one community, then we should be able to do the same if we are from the Abrahamic faith. Right? You cannot claim that you are from the Abrahamic faith if you're not if you're not interested or able to stand alone in the community as the one who is the pillar of the truth. Then on the day of judgment, Allah will say, you're going to be isolated and separated anyway. That the trumpet will be blown on that day. There will be no relationships between people. Mother and father, son and daughter, sister and brother, husband and wife will run away from each other so that they may gain salvation from Allah independent of each other. And so the togetherness is for the sake of the dunya but Allah says that if you are together, not for the sake of Allah, then you will be separated on the Day of Judgment. That is uh, the 
beginning of that sequence of punishments where eventually your refuge, your abode will be the fire. And for that, for that, at that time you have no helper besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah will not help you. Now, this is in the concept of a theological discussion and a theological construct of human existence in this world. So in this world you want to maintain your aqidah about Allah correctly first before you say I want to become part of a social order. If the social order is not based on tawheed then that is not an order of justice. It's an order of dhulm because you are committing injustice against Allah by denying him his free will and his absolute authority and his prerogatives over you as a society. Right? And this is not physical, it's not moral, it is theological, it's in your mind, it's a concept, it's in your conscience. That what's the difference between a person who worships false idols and a person who worships one God in appearance? There's no okay, difference. How do you judge the two? Apparently. Because the person who works next to you at your job may be a mushrik, but he may perform much better than you, and you are muahid, you believe in Allah. He may get a, he may get a rise, a raise, and you will not, and he may have a better post than you, and you will be still struggling. For instance, for example, what's the difference? The difference is that you stand for the truth as part of your world order and your world view, where the world order and world view is based on how you see the creator of the universe and the world, and your microscopic function in the company is just that. It's a microscopic function of the company in the company that pays you some money so that you can buy the food. Whereas Ibrahim is saying, let's move away from the microscopic and go to the macro. That you must start from the macro and come into the micro. You can't go into the micro and go to the macro if it's false. That's his line of argumentation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to believe in him first. Then you seek risk from him, through him. And then if you perform at work, then it is because you are honest and you are hardworking and you see that Allah's follow on you, that He is providing for you. But if you don't have Tawheed, then you'll see you and your company and your boss as providing for you. And that is shirk. That is not correct. You know, although we will take the pill, we will say, who cures us? A Muslim. Oh, he's sick, he goes to the doctor, the doctor says, take this pill. But in the Muslim's mind and heart and conscious and subconscious, does he believe it is the pill that's curing him, or does he believe it is Allah who is curing him through the pill? Right? There's a difference in observation, right? That's your worldview. So the Quran is saying, develop your worldview first, which is correct. And that has to be with reality. Reality is Allah is everything. Allah is everything. And then based on that, you perform. So when you perform in your dunya to seek risk from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through your profession or through your skill, whatever it is, then you know that it is still coming through Allah and because of Allah 
but uh, the means I have chosen is this. And then you can relax and acquiesce to the reality. Okay, so when you, God forbid, lose your job, or you don't get a raise, then you're okay with it. You don't fall into the doldrums, and you panic, and you feel suicidal, and you want to hit everybody around you. Right. So this is the way Allah Subhanahu is addressing the Muslim reader of the Qur'an, that look at the story of Ibrahim and see how formidable he was in his uh, ability to stand up for the truth against all odds. You think you have a bad. At least we now have some uh, social support in the form of Muslims being around us and having massage and having institutions and having Eid and Jum'ah and all this. We have some support, social infrastructure where we can say we belong and fit into this. Ibrahim Salam was a lone ranger, he's a maverick, <laughs> the total rebel. There's no one there, neither his mother, his father, his sibling, no one there, absolutely. And that, he's saying, he's saying that, all of you are wrong. All of you are wrong because you don't know Allah. If you don't know Allah, you're wrong. If you know Allah, you're right. Anyway, this came through Allah's Qadr on Ibrahim so that any person who comes to Allah on the Day of Judgment says and says that, hey, look, you put me there. Where? In an environment and a culture of decadence and filth and shirk. So it's your fault. The man will say that. <laughs> Human beings love to fight and to argue. On the Day of Judgment, they will fight and argue against the Divine also. It will be the same human being, same conscious, same nafs will be resurrected. It will be no different. Okay. So Allah Subhanahu will present to everybody who feels this way. Who will He present? Have a look at Ibrahim. He was human. He was in God, he was in divine, he had now the same social constraints and restraints as you did. He survived. Why didn't he survive? Right. So you, you compare to him. Well, he was a Nabi. So we say, no, Allah says that he understood this before Nabuwa. As the Quran says, before Nabuwa, he was able to understand and perceive this level of understanding that the creator of the universe has to be one. Uh, he cannot be two. So the one who's govern, governing me at the macro level is governing me at the micro level. He has to be one. And this is called the theory of uh, Tawheed in the Quran. It's known as the founding father of monotheism so that people cannot say that you did this to me, I was born this way. So Allah said, you're not born that way. Your birth and your life and your death is a test. If you survive and pass the test, you are successful. If you don't, then that is on you because we gave you all the tools and all the abilities that Ibrahim was given. Where if you say this is a very primitive society, then we rest our case. You live in a very sophisticated society. So you have more access in your mind 
to your culture, to your sophistication, to uh, academic understanding, intellectual understanding, to a, a very uh, civilized community and culture, where despite all of these assets and tools of understanding, you used none of them. And you want to rely on fate and say, you made me this way. No. You're not made that way. You determine your fate by accepting that you have the ability to ascertain that the creator of the universe has to be one. Once you have done that in your mind mentally, psychologically, then the spiritual mother and father will come from Allah and you will be guided towards the one and only who is Allah Subhanahu. But if you don't make that effort, you will not be guided. So just as you go and seek food and sustenance and providence in the dunya by your own gasp and your own ability to acquire food and providence, likewise, you must use all the mental, intellectual, psychological abilities Allah has given you uh, as equal opportunity. Right? And then determine and discern that Allah is one and I want to be guided towards Allah subhanahu This is the way that we see these ayat and these evidences and proofs, signs of Allah subhanahu being related to our lives today. So now our children, unfortunately, may say that we are now in this environment where we are programmed to think only one way. And we should say, no, you're not programmed. You're not a machine, you're not a robot, you are a living human being that has discretion, that has volition, that has a mind, that has a soul, that has a conscious. And Allah has already guided you. Why are you reinventing the wheel? Why are you reinventing the wheel? I've already given you a home. So at the age of 16, your kid comes and tells you, oh, I want to be independent. So why are you reinventing the wheel? Live in this house, what's wrong with you? Right? Well, I want to be independent and find a job and get some education then to one of you. At the moment, you don't have that ability to be that independent, neither physically nor financially. So, stay with it until you find something else that is good for you or better for you. Likewise, with uh, uh, our understanding of how to raise our children, uh, we must not give them that prerogative to say, I want to be intellectually, academically into, uh, you say, no, sit down and be quiet. You're not there yet. You're not developed yet. You're not mature yet. You don't have the ability to think that way yet. When you do, and you're held responsible by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you may do what you choose to do. But at the moment, my responsibility to you is to make sure you stay on the boat. And you don't jump overboard. That's my responsibility as a parent. Then you speak the truth. Right? There's no need to be tactful. There's no tactfulness needed when someone's going to destroy their lives. You put your foot down. Isn't that what a physician would do if someone's dying? What are they going to do? Let him die. You don't let a patient die when you know you can save that patient. Likewise, you don't let a human being destroy his life and his salvation when you know you can do something to stop him or her from doing that. 
So the idea that in the Muslim community today, unfortunately, there are many closet atheists amongst young people is, is very disturbing, but at the same time, the onus is on the parents. The onus is on the parents. Don't give them that assumption or freedom to say that we want to think the way we want to because society wants us to think this way. And that's fine. So you'll be left on the roads, homeless. Right? Which is, unfortunately, okay, legal after 18. <laughs> but before 18, you still have some parental rights, legal rights. <coughs> Keep them where they are. So this is where you are. And this is how you are. Now, the idea that Muslims run away, just as non-Muslims run away from their homes, Muslims run, Muslim kids run away from Islam. That is very disturbing and shocking. We ask Allah for his protection. But it is still our responsibility as a parent to make sure that the environment at home is an environment that is conducive to them not leaving. That's our responsibility. We have to make sure that we do it this way. It doesn't have to be uh, that tyrannical, that I'm the boss and this is the end. So, you know, do it with adab and discipline and culture and sophistication, but at the same time, make sure that they know very firmly that in this matter they do not have a choice until, as I said, unfortunately in this country, at the age of 18. You can't do anything after that. Before 18, make sure they stay within the fold. They stay on board, and they don't overboard, they jump overboard, otherwise your whole ship will capsize. <coughs> the whole family, and your extended family members, and your whole tribe and clan, and the whole Muslim Ummah will drown, and that's what's happening, unfortunately. When you're talking to a five-year-old, and the five-year-old taunts you and says, you can't tell me what to do. And yes, I can. And I will, and you will listen to me. Don't give them that so-called freedom when they're not entitled to it, nor are they able to use that freedom in such a way that is constructive. When freedom is used in a destructive way, then it is your responsibility as a parent to make sure that they don't do that. Allah will ask you first, and then him or her later on. You started the process. Anyway, we make dua Allah subhanahu that allows us to benefit from the story of Ibrahim al-Islam and his abilities in such a way that he is pleased with us in this world and also in the world hereafter. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayyid khalqi Muhammad wa alayhi wa sallam.